Hello, 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 and welcome to The Local Edition, news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Friday evening, Patricio Robayo. It's Friday. We made it through the week. Thank you for spending your Friday evening with me. Let's take a deep breath, collect ourselves, and get ready for our fantastic show. In the second half of the show, we'll get a chance to speak to the director of the Skeleton Crew play that's opening this weekend at Shadowland Stages. But first, it's Friday, which means every Friday we speak to the one and only Chris Rowley from the Shawankum Journal. Chris, welcome to the program. You have a big story here of coming out of Ellenville and Ulster County about a fentanyl drug bus. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Yeah, we'll start with the bad news. It's also good news in a way. Okay, the, let's see, Carla Friedman, a U.S. attorney, announced the result of an urgent, that's the U-R-G-E-N-T, anti-drug and gang police operation in Ulster County. Um, and they had arrested nine men, of whom seven were uh, associated with Allenville addresses, either resident or uh, that's where their mail went. Um the big part of this was that four kilos of fentanyl had been recovered during this operation, which is an incredible amount if you think about it. Fentanyl is extremely uh, toxic. I think two milligrams is all that it takes to kill a lot of people. Uh, I think there are people who can who can take more than that, but I think a lot of us would be dead if we took more than two milligrams. You think how tiny that is? Anyway, they got this four kilos, they arrested these nine guys. Now, they've just been arrested at this point. They've been indicted by grand jury. They will go to trial. And this case, we'll have to see what happens. We'll be following it kept closely, you can imagine. They also came away with 600 grand in, in cash, also a half kilo of cocaine and five firearms. Classic drug bust, only the thing is, it's not heroin anymore, it's fentanyl. And that's just scary. Uh, some of the names were somewhat familiar from uh, Ellenville, uh, on one side of the community, and that's a very sad and upsetting thing, but there you go. There's a lot of money to be made in this terrible stuff. Anyway, so that story will continue. Part of it also was that it began, they began looking into this in, I think, early 2021, and, and then they began to move in with warrants earlier this year. Um, in January, and now it's come to an indictment from a grand jury. So that was uh, that's big news. The good news is four kilos of fentanyl won't be out there killing people. And just a couple of weeks ago, I had to write a story about a young woman who was killed in 2019, and she died of an overdose of fentanyl. And you have to wonder if she didn't die as a result of what was coming through this particular pipeline. But it's only one of many. There's several other pipelines. Uh, for fentanyl to come into our area. And how do we stop this? I don't know. The only real way that this will stop, I fear, is when people just realize that pills and powders are just potentially lethal and stop buying and using them. That, I, you, that kind of thing has happened before. It, these things do come in kind of social waves. 
Uh, if you think back to the uh, late 60s, early 70s, there was a wave of heroin then, and then that kind of died down and disappeared. Of course, it was replaced soon after by cocaine, uh, and that got to be very intense by the late uh, 80s and early 90s, and then that died down a little bit too. So these things come in waves. Hopefully, uh, this will continue to decline because the overall triggers for Ulster County NAR area uh, have shown a, a somewhat slight decline in the um, the deaths. Uh, and we have to hope that it would continue. Uh, that's all we can really hope for at this point. But four kilos of fentanyl removed, and we'll see what happens to these nine gentlemen as they go through the trial process. So that was the bad news, good news. Then on yeah. the other side of things, another another event was rather encouraging, was an event that came out of the Ukrainian Youth, American Youth Association, which was headlined by Natalie Merchant and was held in Accord, just up the road from Allenville. And it drew a good crowd, maybe 500 people, and they raised a lot of money with a silent auction, and they had food and the kids running around with soccer balls and all the good things and that, a lot of different music, including something that I, I have to mention, which is an Accord-based singing group called Breast Milk and Bourbon. <laughs> and this refers to the prominent beverages involved in the early gatherings of this community choir. So they get together, gather around a fire pit and sing. And some of them maybe sip a little bourbon and others are, are basically feeding babies. It, 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 it picks, brings up a delightful picture in the mind. Anyway, they performed as well. Natalie Merchant performed and was the classic, fully professional, beautiful Natalie Merchant performance. And the crowd had a great time. And they raised a bunch of money, which will be used in Ukraine to, it goes to Caritas, the Christian organization, and the Sisters of St. Joseph's, which is in Kharkiv, where there's been a lot of destruction. And they'll be doing things like providing winter coats and uh, gloves and hats and so on to children and people who need them. And, and that's the sort of thing that we can do here um, on our side of the Atlantic to support the people fighting for freedom in Ukraine. And more of that will, is expected to come. But, but that was the good side uh, of the week for me. And then there was another element that I should just mention which was that in the county executive's budget for Ulster County, that's Jen Metzger, county executive, uh, her budget included $700,000 to rehab and improve things at the Trudy Farber building in Allenville, which has been somewhat underused for a long time. Anyway, of the seven hundred grand, five hundred dollars will put a new roof on it. So it's going to get a new roof, and then... There's going to be uh, like 125,000 a year for two years on uh, design and planning for a lot of different stuff, a lot of different changes to come there. And the county will ramp up its presence in Allenville and probably set up a, a mental, a kind of a satellite of uh, county mental health in Allenville, which was the whole, this whole part of the county, which needs it. It's a long way from Kingston. And even though mobile mental health is a great idea, it takes a long time for them to get down here. And it's not just that. It's for people who have issues and need to see somebody maybe weekly or maybe they're having a crisis and need to see someone immediately. They could come to uh, an appointment with something set up in, at the Truly Father building. Now, that's all my speculation, but I know that's one of the biggest demands uh, that 
that the community of Allenville has placed with uh, the county executive to please bring back uh, mental health services to Allenville. And so we'll see how that comes along. And that's good news, too, because that shows a little love for Allenville from the county executive, and Allenville has not felt that sort of love that much lately. Yeah, we've been talking opioid settlement money recently in in other interviews, and I saw the majority of the money is going towards law enforcement. And uh, there's not a lot of talk about services when it comes to mental health and therapy and solutions that are not being addressed as causing uh, folks to go into addiction. And there's not only mental health, there's tons, I don't don't want to simplify it, it's tons of other issues that go into why a person becomes addicted. We're talking about social economic uh, reasons, mental health reasons, and and just what's going on in this world. And as she seems, we're not addressing, this is my personal opinion, that we're not addressing those aspects so much as the law enforcement side. The issue is, of course, that um, mental health is a crisis right across the country. It's very expensive and difficult to deal with. It comes in all sorts of flavors. What you can have harmless people who think they're an orange or something, and then you can have very dangerous people who are angry and upset with the world and are inclined to attack their wife or their husband. It, there's a lot of complexity to it. There's a lots of issues to it, and it's expensive. It tends to be that the money was given to law enforcement because nobody can think of anything better. And, and law enforcement, they don't want to do that. You talk to police. The worst thing they have to deal with is domestics, especially domestics that have a have a, a psychiatric or, or mental health component. They're not necessarily trained for that. They've got training, but they're not psychologists. They didn't take degrees in, in college. And it, it's hard for our strapped economy, our little budgets in our counties and towns, uh, to come up with the funding for that. This is the point where counties have to step up State has to step up and provide some tax money to help support this kind of thing because really there's so much grief, so much anguish comes out of untreated mental health issues that they go untreated because we just haven't supplied the treatment possibility. It's not there. That's, that's, that's terrible. And if you've got somebody who's really suffering and they're in, they're in pain mentally, but they live a long way from the county capital, they have to get there to get any treatment. Hey, <laughs> it's an hour plus to get to Kingston from Allenville uh, on the UCAT bus. Now, I know the UCAT bus is being improved and there will be more of them, blah, blah, blah. Great. But if someone is really uh, out of it and having severe issues, they're not going to make that bus. Or if they do, it'll be a miracle. Uh, unless they've got family members who can get them to the bus and get them on it or take them in the vehicle to Kingston and get them into uh, an appointment. But these things are not the easiest things. And many families are, are, are far too stretched to be able to do it. Having the Trudy Farber building back in full force and offering full, a full range of mental health services will go, will be a major step forward. Put it that way. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're talking to Chris Rowley from the Schwanker Journal. Thank you so much, Chris, for giving that information and what's news that's happening in Elville. We'll talk to you again next week. Coming up for you is the director for the Skeleton Crew, premiering opening this weekend. But before we get to that, I just want to mention that we have Catskill Talks coming tomorrow here in the studios at Radio Catskill. 
This is the last of the Casco Talks. I've been hosting an artist talk series for the past summer, bringing in uh, artists uh, here in the studio in front of a live audience to talk about their work and the process of how they come about to create the work. And tomorrow, uh, we have a really special treat for you. We have not one, but two one-act plays happening right here in our studios, live in front of a live audience. So if you want to see it live, come in at 5 o'clock tomorrow at 2758 State Route 52 here in the Radio Catskill Studios. We'll be in front of live audience in a community room uh, with director Carol Montana and a, and a slew of actresses and actresses. And we have uh, Crystal Tweed. Uh, I'm not doing my due diligence here. I didn't bring up the whole thing here. It's Crystal Tweed. We have Bill Duncan, Mary Burkhart, and Lori Valentine. That's happening here tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Catskill Talks. So if you have not been to any of the Catskill Talks, now is your time. We'll be right back listening to the local edition. Talk to Joanne Patton. Stay tuned. This week on Catskill Character, my guest is Alexander Hancock, photographer, filmmaker, world traveler, and resident of Wayne County, Pennsylvania. Join us to hear Alexander talk about his work and some of the places he's traveled to, which include the Southwest, Argentina, and Antarctica. That's Saturday with me, Donna Fellenberg, at 1030 on Catskill Character on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. This weekend, the Skeleton Crew starts production at Shadowland Stages in Ellenville. It's the third installment of the Detroit Trilogy, centered around struggling automotive factory teetering on the edge of closure. In this turbulent setting, the distinction between blue-collar and white-collar workers blur. On the phone this now is the director, Jamie Patton, to share more information about the Skeleton Crew. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Um, you know, can you provide some more insights on the overarching themes and messages from the Skeleton Crew and, and how it explores this within the context of the, the Detroit trilogy? The setting is in Detroit, yes, and it's year 2008. And it takes place over the course of seven days. When the factory workers, this group of factory workers get news, there are rumors going around that they might get shut down, but management hasn't said anything to them yet. So conflict ensues. Just looking back in 2008, what, from what I remember, that was a time during a huge bailout happened for the auto industry. And you look what's happening now with the auto industry. They're on the verge of a walkout, of strike. So the three big auto companies in Detroit, you got General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis. I think that's how you it's pronounced. But yeah, the workers went on strike because they weren't getting, the rate of their pay wasn't keeping up with the economy and they were losing benefits, just basic 
things were being denied to them. So they got together and went on strike. What's still going on today? We got another strike going on with uh, United Auto Workers. So it's very timely that Shadowland is producing this play right now. In the intro, I gave a brief mention that the lines blur between blue collar and white collar. Can you elaborate on how the play explores those themes? Yes. In the play, you have three characters. I'm actually playing one of them in addition to directing. I don't know what possessed me, but the artistic (laughs) director thought it was a great idea, too. You have these three characters, Faye, Reggie, and Dez. And uh, I'm sorry, Faye, Shanita, and Dez. And Reggie is their supervisor. He comes to work every day in a new button-up and tie. And it's this line between them where he's the supervisor and he has certain privileges that the workers don't. And he's always trying to uh, keep the peace between his higher ups and us, the workers. So there's conflict in that, too. And the simple fact that Reggie is there's a, a mother son relationship between Faye and Reggie, but she's one of the workers. So that creates conflict as well. And I'm sure this is something that happens all the time where certain supervisors have certain privileges and no information and don't share it with the workers because they're trying to protect their higher ups and their jobs. There's a reckoning that has to take place in order to come to some resolution. I was going to talk to you about the challenges of directing a play, but now you're also starring in the play. So how was that? How was providing direction for the actors while being in part of the production. It's a little crazy, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> but it's and I've, I've done this before. Um, this is not my first rodeo with directing something that I'm acting in. It, it In a way, it helps me appreciate my position more as a director because I know what actors go through. I've been acting and directing professionally for 20 years and not to toot my own horn, but I get plenty of actors to say, oh, thank you so much. You're taking such good care of us. And it's because I know what we go through as actors. And I've worked with abusive directors and directors who Mm -hmm. just want you to get it right away and don't have patience. And I think that's the key to it as well is having patience. You can't expect someone to get what you're saying right out of the box. And you also have to learn each actor's language, if that makes sense. Everyone has a way that they need to be spoken to in order to understand the objective, what you're trying to get them to do. And so I think the empath in me (laughs) taps in and say, oh, this is what this actor needs to understand what I'm saying. But it is a lot and it could be very draining, but I love this work. I can't see myself doing anything else besides being a a lady of leisure and living on an island somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) You talk about each actor has a language, and that's what I I always hear that from from actors and directors in movies. Uh, You know, the director is there to set the scene and work with the actor to bring the best performance. And each actor is different. Each person is different. I'm hearing that the challenges is knowing each language to speak to each actor, making sure they feel safe and make sure they're in the right space to elicit the the best performance that you can get. 
Exactly. Exactly. I think that's all the great directors that I've worked with. Not only do they learn your language despite limited time, but the best directors I've worked with are very concise. You can drain an actor by going on and on and just giving too much explanation. And another trick in directing is to ask questions so that the actor arrives at the at what you're trying to get them to arrive at organically, right. if that makes sense. I am very thankful for technology right now because we didn't have this back in the 80s or even the 90s when I directed my first play in high school, is that I set up a camera at the back of the theater, just my cell phone, and record so that I can see. I can go back and look at it later on because it's hard to see the total picture when you're in it. And I've had to change plenty of blocking once I go and review my my cell phone camera (laughs) footage from earlier in the day. So it seems to work on stage, but let's change it up after looking at the video. I think it's a great way to use that technology. You're on stage with the other actors and having the camera in the back and watching you say block and set the scene and knowing what to do later on. I think that's a huge help. Great idea. Brendan Park has been very helpful as well. The artistic director, he's been my unofficial assistant director. My second pair of eyes. So that's been very helpful. Now, this play has played in Broadway, has played in Manhattan before. Now, knowing that, do you as a director get some kind of footage of that play or do you go at it at a a fresh approach? I like when I'm doing a a play that's been done before, I like to start with my own vision. I'll, I'll go halfway maybe through the process and go and look at some footage or look at some interviews, but I like to go directly to the source. Let me interpret what I believe the the writer's intentions are. And I live by that because you don't want to keep creating the same performances. That was their magic. That's what they created. Let's see what we can create because it's a totally different cast. You're in a different city. The audience is different. So I think it's best to, for me at least, to come from myself and my interpretation of the script. Now, I have gone and looked at some of the Broadway footage of the production of Skeleton Crew because Felicia Rashad is a gem. (laughs) She is a master class in acting. She actually taught me at Howard for a class or two. And I was curious to see her portrayal of Faye. And it was magnificent. It was, it's flawless, but it's not what I'm doing. And I'm okay with that. I stand in that. This is what a great thing she you told by her. And now you're also doing a part that she did in the past. That's great. I know. It's yeah. crazy. I can always say, oh, I played a role that Claire Huxtable <laughs> played. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some of the, the themes while giving too much away. Uh, some of the dynamics and relationships that, that, that audiences can expect in the skeleton crew between the characters. Yes. You have, without giving too much away, <laughs> you have mm-hmm. a, a little bit of romance happening. You have, um, some co-worker rivalry. You have a mother-son relationships without these all being labeled as such, but it's the energy 
the dynamics of the relationships. And just really, these people are familiar. I think everyone will relate to some character in this play, if not know someone that's like the characters in this play. Dominique has done a wonderful job of making these characters three-dimensional and textured and just really engaging. You want to sit and, and hear what they're saying and what they're talking about and what they want. And they're funny. There's some right. really funny parts in this, too. As a director, what aspects of the Scouts crew do you think will resonate most strongly with the audiences? And, and what message or emotion are you hoping they take away from the production? I, I, I think, from my perspective, I, I think one of the main themes that will resonate with people for the simple fact that we're dealing with inflation and, and money is tight is that these people are struggling. They work hard, but yet they're still struggling. And I believe that's because uh, a lot of the money is all going to the top. In America, we have an obsession with with luxury and money and the American dream. And we tend to put people who already have these things on pedestals. And it's unfortunate. I'm, I'm not saying I'm for socialism and communism, and but we have to learn to value the people who are doing the work, the physical work, right. as well as the people who come with the ideas, the CEOs and the COOs. But it shouldn't be such a disparity. The CEO of a company should not make 400 times more than their lowest paid worker. Right. It's, it's terrorism. It's economic terrorism, what we do and allow to ourselves. And this, this play really speaks um, truth to power in regards to that. And, yeah, I think everyone should come and see it because it's very relevant to what we're dealing with, not just on a national level, but in the global economy. We need to start thinking about being conscious about where we're buying our goods from and who we're buying it from. Sure, I can go buy this little cheap shirt for three ninety nine, but what is the cost to our brothers and sisters in India who are working in a, in a factory? that pays them 10 cents a day. Absolutely. You just mentioned the amount of pay discrepancy between CEOs and the ones who are actually doing the work. I'm hearing interviews on NPR, but just about, the, it, it just seems heartbreaking that these folks are working long hours and not getting compensated for it fairly, what they feel is fair compensation for the work. And it's a perfect time for this play to come on. A lot of times we feel like we don't have power. Mm. Oh, they have the lawyers. They have right. all the the resources and finances, but there is strength in numbers. And this is why the actors, the SAG actors were striking <laughs> because yeah. you look at the CEOs of Disney and all these other streaming platforms. And for a while, we're just going along with it. This is what it is. Times are changing. This is what it is. But it doesn't have to be that way if we just link with your neighbor and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to say no, and we're going to stick together. That's how they get over. That's how they get over on us. The divide and conquer strategy really works. But people yeah. are waking up, and you should be thankful to the Internet for that. Internet is good for that. 
Jamie, before we go, is there anything else that we have not touched on you want folks to know about the production that's opening up this weekend? Just come see it. Come see the show. You're going to have a good time. I've been coming to Shadowland stage shows since 2019. I've directed two shows and now have performed in two. <laughs> As of Saturday, I will have performed in two. And they're doing really great work, and there are restaurants nearby that you can go to before and after the show. It's just really a great community, and they do really great work. And come out and see it. It's an awesome show. We were talking to the director of The Skeleton Crew, opening up this weekend, and it runs until October 29th. Thank you so much, Jamie. We're talking to Jamie Patton, the director of The Skeleton Crew. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us know about the production. And break a leg this weekend. Thank you, Patricia. I hope you come to see it. All right. That does it for the local edition. We'll be back on Monday talking to the Sullivan County government, talking about the Office for the Aging, and we check in with the Sullivan County Democrat. If you ever missed a show, guess what? We have a podcast. You can find us anywhere you find your you can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcast. That's what I meant to say. Google, Apple, Stitcher. Search for WJFF, The Local Edition. Subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Find us on social media. We're at WJFFradio.org. Visit our website, and you can find upcoming guests, see past guests, and listen to the show. You've been listening to The Local Edition. I've been your host, Patricio Robayo. Have a good night, Lucy. Don't forget, Casco Talks is happening tomorrow at 5 p.m., and it's also still Hispanic Heritage Month until the 15th. I did a, uh, two great interviews with Veronica Serrano, uh, the principal of elementary school for Monticello, and also Enrique Velasquez from SUNY Sullivan. Check that out on our website. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, everybody.